0: Howdy, Rob Lee here, and we're going to get back to the truth in this art. But I want to do a little exercise with you. As you know, the truth in this art is an audio experience, so I'm going to ask you to do something a little different this time and visualize with me. I'm thrilled to reintroduce you to Forged Eatery, a true gem that captures the essence of farm to table dining in Baltimore. At Forged Eatery, they have mastered the art of sourcing local and seasonal ingredients, resulting in a menu that will leave you in awe. Their commitment to quality and to flavor is simply unmatched. Picture yourself, see, it's the visual, picture yourself uh, savoring their mushroom stew, a comforting and aromatic dish that transports you to a world of culinary bliss. The depths of flavor and the carefully selected ingredients will tantalize your taste buds. You can swap out and insert the focaccia, which is heavenly, or the irresistible cornmeal fried happy oysters. Each bite is a celebration of culinary mastery. Forged Eatery goes beyond being simply a restaurant. It's an immersive experience where the menu evolves with the seasons. Each visit promises a new and exciting experience for your taste buds, making every moment unforgettable. So fellow food fans, fellow food lovers, it's time to discover the magic of Forged Eatery. Let their innovative approach to dining and their passion for locally sourced ingredients transport you to a world of culinary excellence. Don't miss out on an extraordinary dining experience. Plan your visit to Forged Eatery today and let your taste buds revel in the true flavors of the season. It's time to indulge in a gastronomic adventure that will leave you craving for more. For more information, visit ForgedEatery.com. Only- Welcome to the truth in this art. I am your host Rob Lee, and today I am delighted to be in conversation with my next guest. He's a visionary composer, conductor, producer, and songwriter, redefining art music in the 21st century.
1: Please welcome Steve Hackman. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Mister Rob Lee. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for for coming on, and um, we were able to uh, chat a little bit. And you know, I don't know if you watch like a lot of movies, but you know, think of those sort of like crime drama movies, you know, where it's like they have like the threads going from one point to another. That's what I feel like I've been doing for the last like 6 months in
1: preparing for this interview. Oh wow. Oh gosh. I don't know where that where that's taking you. We'll, we we we'll get into that, but that's yeah. fun.
0: <laughs> so um, I want to start off, you know, by, uh, you know, opening up a little bit to give you the, the space to uh, share a bit about your background. And I have a secondary questionnaire, but I at least want to start off with a bit about your background and, um, you know, just give you that introductory space.
1: Well, sure. Um, well, yeah. As, as you said, I'm I'm a, a composer, conductor, you know, producer. I really focus on this the space in between classical and popular music, finding virtuosic, engaging, and cohesive ways of bringing them together. And uh, you know, again, hopefully pushing art for music forward in this kind of multi-genre way. Um, you know, I guess multi-genre is is a good setup for my background, uh, or maybe better put. You know, I, I grew up agnostically when it came to music. Um, I didn't grow up in a musical household uh, per se. Neither of my parents are professional musicians, though my dad plays the the classical guitar, you know, uh, as for as a hobby. Um, but you know, they didn't really play music in the house. But I discovered it um, uh, through some kind of uh, cassettes and records that my my dad had. And then they bought a piano when I was seven, because my sister was showing interest in in music. And I just sort of started to play it by ear, and that was the beginning for me. And um, you know they they signed me up for piano lessons from the local piano teacher, and i I just I was able to develop skill pretty quickly in the piano, and i I, I showed some some uh, natural talent for it. And you know, then fast forward to high school I, I really got involved in the the choir program and singing and um, arranging music i formed my own quartet i was in the musicals the show choir the all-state choir all that stuff and that's that's really when it occurred to me maybe you know music could be a career for me hmm. um i think it was first at all-state choir that i just had this feeling i can i can you know remember it like it was yesterday of of you know sitting there with all these talented singers under this wonderful conductor we had and making music all together and that was the the first time I, I sort of um, the, the magic of making music as a community at a high level was sort of revealed to me wow. and you know but still at this time I'm not studying classically really at a, in a serious way uh, that didn't come for me until um, my undergrad years at U of I and then Sorry, I'm getting like pretty detailed here. So I don't know if this is what you're looking no, no, for.
0: No, no, no. This is like here here's the thing. Like you're doing the move where you got like the first two questions. So, that's good.
1: I like it. Please continue. Okay. Okay. Well, um I got really lucky because I went to the University of Illinois really to be in an a cappella group. There was a singing group there called The Other Guys that I had seen and and they just uh, they were my heroes and I wanted to be in this group. We toured all around the country and even to Europe and all that and I ended up um you know, winning an audition to be in that group. But uh, the real kind of um, fortuitous event for me was was the piano teacher. Um, Gustavo Romero was his name. It was his first year teaching. He had been trained at Juilliard at, at uh, the pre-college level, undergrad and graduate. He had won the Clara Haskell Piano Competition. and He's a pianist of genius. And he opened my world up to classical music. And um, I, I just fell head over heels and became obsessed with it and um, became very driven to make a career in classical music. Um, and it was in those summers when I was at U of I that I went to the Aspen Music Festival and then fell in love with the orchestra and started to think, you know, conducting could be the road for me. And I had um, I had, I had done a lot of, you know, conducting, arranging, you know, even in high school, like teachers were asking me to like, you know, take charge with things. And then of course in my undergrad, uh, with that acapella group and the choir I was in and I thought this could be for me. So that's what kind of opened um, opened that up. And Curtis and Juilliard were the, the the places I wanted to go. I thought it was that was a studio that I think I could fit in. And I thought I had the right kind of um, attributes and skills to get in there. And, you know, luckily I did. And, and kind of uh, that that set up all the rest.
0: Thank you. That that is perfect. Literally, you're making my job easier over here. So shout out to you. Um and, and thank you for for sharing that and giving us that um that background and that, that extra flourish um going in. I, I wanted to to go back a little bit and you know, so I, I find that, you know, it might it, it may not necessarily be something this close to what we're doing give you an example um so let's say you know early on i can kind of look back to you know when um i was first interested in recording audio right for like a podcast proto-podcasting if you will and mm-hmm. you know but that that really wasn't the thing that had my initial interest like i was into i wanted to be a comic book artist you know what i mean it's oh, wow. so my, my first introduction to creativity and that's yeah. what everything was for me and you know, it was like a roadblock that happened creatively it was rejection. And I couldn't really cope. And I kind of moved into the writing side of things and, and sharing voice and 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 so on. And um always kind of look back at that. And I was able to revisit the comic thing, but in a different way. So in looking back, were 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 there any other sort of like creative interests that you had um growing up that it, it might influence how you approach like your work today?
1: Well, you know it was it was kind of always music, I will say, but I can absolutely um, relate to the idea that it's the rejections that will shape us, you know much more than the acceptances. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in that, and and that has um, you know ha- has been quite a prominent storyline for me. Um, you know, I guess I guess the biz- biggest acceptance I had what you know was kind of you know getting into Curtis. That that of course changed my life. Um but there's been so many rejections, and what rejection forces us to do is um have that gut check moment where we ask ourselves and we look ourselves very honestly in the mirror and say, well, what was the reason for that you know why why didn't I win that job why why you know why why didn't I get in or or why wasn't I chosen and do I really want this badly enough to do the hard work um of correcting those things and improving those skills or am i do I have a different idea of of who I am here and do I need to make an adjustment there and and sort of rethink what the plan is yeah
0: That's, that's, that's great. I I, I do that sort of check in regularly, you know, where it may be, I don't know, like, I find that some people, they look they find those sort of imperfections and those quirks because they're part of their own process, right? It's like, hey, I know I kind of screwed that one up or I know I didn't prepare in this way and so on. And, you know, kind of looking for when that, that mix-up happens, when that kind of like, oh, wow, ugh, let me check back in with myself. Is this something I'm really doing? Is this the way I want to go about this and so on? And it's always sort of this, this consistent check-in um, just to make sure that, you know, at least from, from what I'm doing. And I think a lot of folks do this just making sure that we're on point, you know,
1: of course. Well, and you know, um, in success, we oftentimes aren't going to be as analytical as we should be in failure. Um, I mean, often it's probably always that, that the case, you know, it's, it's a very, I think, special and driven, and determined person that, um, can be as analytical in, um, in both situations. It's great. I, I 100% agree. And I have a data background outside of this. So
0: definitely start saying analytics, like, yeah, tell me that SQL script. Tell me more.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so in, in going back to like sort of training and education as such, could, is there like a moment that really like sticks out that, you know, was sort of that indicator of success or, or even sort of like those challenging moments along the path that you had to do that, that gut check. And, um, know could you set that set that stage for us
1: definitely I think um well um the first pivotal moment I'll mention was at Curtis uh during my first year of studies and um I was my degree from Curtis is in orchestral conducting Hmm. um we had a a teacher uh my first semester at Curtis uh Dr. Ford Lauerstead who taught us i believe at that point in time the seminar he taught was on um kind of score reading uh, i think you know though um classes with him became so unbelievably far ranging um he was just one of those kind of um brilliant and 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 um just special um educators so Anyway, it was all composers and conductors in this class, all five of us, you know, Curtis is only 165 students. So I think there were five uh, students in the class, three conductors, two composers, I think it was at that time. And the class before the holiday break, I was the only person that showed up. And by this time, you know, first semesters are short, as, as you might recall. And, and um, but in the couple months of class, um, I think, Dr. Lowishad and I had already kind of developed a bit of a rapport. And we both there knew there was something going on uh, with each other, you know, like um and I I loved this teacher right away, though we hadn't yet had a had a chance to connect um in, in a deeper, meaningful way. So I'm the only person that shows up that day and he says, Okay, all right, nobody else is here. What is your story? Like what is going on here? <laughs> you know, because in my first semester at Curtis, to be honest, I think maybe just as the, the as a defense mechanism, maybe because I was just scared out of my mind, yeah. maybe in over my head, I I behaved in a way that um and, and I dressed in a way that like um well let me say I, I I didn't I wasn't shy about the fact that I was different. I mean I would carry a basketball with me to to class, you know, like I would wear my headphones. Like I wanted all these classical musicians to sort of know, like I came from like somewhere else. I, I don't ask me why. I don't know. Anyway, he kind of said, "What's your story? What do you want to do? Like, what are you doing here?" And um, I said I started to talk about my own music and and I, the, the music I was writing and the acapella group that I uh, directed in college and the the pieces that i had arranged for them. And and he was like, "Oh, I want to hear that." So I, you know. It was only a few blocks from my apartment. I ran home to my apartment. I grabbed a CD. Um, I brought it back. He popped it in. He listens to it and he says, What what are you what are you doing here? Yes. Like, if you if this is what you want to do and you're writing music like this, why don't you just move to LA now and just go go do this? And I was like, What are you talking about? I want to be a conductor, you know, I want to be be a classical musician. And he's like, All right, okay. So he he marches me down. This is all the way up on the third floor Curtis. We go down all the staircases. He marches me down to the dean's office. And he says to the dean, Robert Fitzpatrick was our dean at the time. Uh, he's now passed on. And he says to Fitzpatrick, take Steve out of, all, out of all his musical studies classes. I will teach him all of them individually. So theory, ear training, counterpoint, all that. He said, take him out. And I'll never forget um, Fitzpatrick's look because he, you know, I could tell that he had a little bit of misgivings. Like, I don't know if these guys should be like conspiring, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's, he just, there was a pause and he said, okay. And from that day on, I mean, Ford um, cultivated my, my ear for counterpoint, my ability to, to compose my creative side. And if I didn't, Ford Lowish, sorry, that's his first name. Um if I didn't have that at Curtis, none of the things I was doing I'm doing now would would be possible. I mean, he completely fostered, encouraged, and developed my creative voice while I was getting that very kind of old school traditional classical training in the on the conducting side. And and to this day, he's my musical mentor and I, I still um, study with him. Another really long answer, I'm sorry.
0: No, no need to be sorry. I I love it. This is great. And you you're you're a storyteller. I I noticed that in um a few of the instances of in watching you do your thing and I I definitely appreciate it. It's it's less work for
1: me. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope people aren't like bored other minds, but
0: eh, they shouldn't be. Um this this one might be a, a shorter or longer an- a question um answer to this question, but this this one is goes like this. Um, so shifting to more of the, your work these days or your philosophy on things these days is a conductor, more of a leader, facilitator, director, or coach. And, and why do you, you think you, you, you think that? And, um, I'll even add in, I was thinking about it and you mentioned ba- basketball earlier. I was like, are they the point guard? That was the other thing I started thinking about. I wasn't sure, but yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, the role of a conductor out, uh, in, in those terms?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, kind of see leader and director as, you know, kind of one of the same, those seem very synonymous unless, unless you, are you thinking more of director from a film standpoint Uh, from, yeah, from a film standpoint? Yeah. Well, all those things, absolutely. All those things. Um, Yes. I think. And, and as far as the um, you know, the, the kind of basketball analogy, definitely more the coach, I would say your point guard is your concert master. Um, but, but listen, the, the best leaders, um, know how to inspire. And I, I think professional sports is a, is a really apt analogy here because especially at the highest level, orchestras can do this on their own. I mean, you know, these are incredibly capable musicians. Uh, yeah, you need somebody to start them, stop them, you know, give some cues, make sure that the the tuba that is 40 feet away is in time with the, you know, the very back of the second violin, which is all the way on the other side of the stage. So yeah, the stick is important. Like I'm not saying that the job's not important, but what's the what is I think what the value that a conductor can really add is that inspiration. And professional athletes are the same way, you know, you assemble five of the greatest basketball players and put them on a court, you know, they, they can execute. I mean, wasn't it, I mean, this is funny because it wasn't it Kyrie Irving that when they were, you know, it was like Kyrie and um, I think James Harden and, and uh, oh, and, and Durant, they were all together and Kyrie was like, we don't need a coach. We can do this ourselves. Like we got the, we have three of the best players in the world, but what was revealed, you do need a coach, you know, because, a coach is what can inspire them to go beyond what they could do, you know, um, left to their own means. If they're if they're leading themselves, I mean, they could provide that leadership, that direction, that encouragement, that inspiration, um, whatever you want to call it. And that's what the greatest conductors, um, you know, that the and the that we have seen and that my heroes have done. And that's what, of course, I hope to do. Yeah.
0: That's that was that was a great answer, and see a short a shorter answer, and you actually knocked out the the following question. So see, I think we're making we're making up time because because time. <laughs> my yeah. time, there, Steve. Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, there's you know the the technical thing of conducting is of course we can talk about you know what what the what the job is so to speak, but in the end, like the the thing that so few of them can do is is inspire. Um, Inspire the best musicians in the world to to go beyond what they would they could be that they would be doing you know left to their own devices and go to a place um that that maybe previously thought of as unattainable place you know that's what the great ones can do.
0: So so in that vein, talk talk about the the job and I, and definitely I'm, I'm hearing the you know and inspiring and the leadership component and all. But what are some of those sort of like key skills or attributes, maybe from a personality standpoint, from a technical standpoint that the great ones possess?
1: Did you say key attributes? Yes. Right, right. Well, um, did you want to talk to the, the on the technical side or do you want to talk more on the sort of emotional leadership side? Let's talk about let's talk about both actually. Well, on the technical side, it, it's um, I'll make another sports analogy you know they they say um and i and I love sports for this reason well i I love sports, but um there's just so many parallels you know they say um in the national football League, the quarterbacks are so important, and you need a quarterback that can make all the throws quote unquote, you know that that can execute the entire playbook um and that's that's a that's a first rate conductor, you know, somebody that can um, handle um, all different um you know, periods of music, um, especially the ones, of course, in the common practice, which is, you know, from from Baroque, let's say then up to, um, you know, 21st century music um, that has a stick technique that is clear. I mean, clarity is the the most important thing. Um, so because that's your number one job, you know, to, to start and stop the musicians um, together um, to get them to play together and so that they know where you are in the B pattern at all times, and you can lead efficiently and effectively. Um, I'd say clarity is number one, Um, technically. Communication is, of course, key. And I would say the more you can communicate non-verbally, the better. Um, You know, not that you can't um, speak in an inspirational or instructive way to an orchestra, but the more You have the more you can show without talking the more they'll appreciate you and frankly the more conducting technique you have if you're able to show it um without stopping and that's always that's always a challenge myself watch walking into any rehearsal i'm always asking myself okay because you know I'll, i'll maybe i'll be expecting the spots that might be tricky or the spots where they might have a question about, okay, how does this conductor do this certain passage? What's his te- his or her tempo, et cetera. So I'll be saying to myself, how can I execute that without talking? Can I get through that without stopping? Um, yeah. So that's, that's, you know, time management is a huge thing because we're all always pressed for time. And, uh, there's so much to do in so little time rehearsal wise. Um, yeah, th- those would be the technical sides. Yeah. Um, the inspirational side is is more um i would say that's more kind of universal to any any leader you know do they, do they just have that um that s- sort of uh that that thing that that thing that's hard to describe that inspirational quality that um that spark that magic you know whatever you want to call it um are they are they you know, generous and, um, just as a human, is it, is it about them or is it about the music? Because that's a, that's a big pitfall as well, especially when you're standing up there and all these people are looking at you and all that. So there's all that as well. Yeah.
0: Thank you. That's, that's great. It's a great answer. So I want to want to shift to creative process a bit, um, and you know, talking from you know, obviously, you know, the f- the fusion component, the conducting component, the um, songwriting component. Like, walk us through like what a, a day in the life of Steve Hackman looks like from a creation and a process uh, standpoint.
1: Well, the more creation and and process there are on a day, the better the day is. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, we're, we're speaking right now in a period of tremendous growth for, for me and um, for, for my company. And so there is a lot of um, kind of logistics and administration and um, kind of personnel um, that is kind of absorbing a lot of my time um, these days. But I always give the morning to creative work. Well, not always, but I, I I try to give that first slot of the day uh, to creative work, and um, just depends what where we are on the calendar, what that is. That could be writing the next fusion show, that could be songwriting for the next kind of original music production. That could be in the studio uh, recording because I'm working on an album, um, you know. But morning definitely creative time. And then usually creative time after the gym, like at night is always a great uh, creative period. Like I go to the gym pretty late and then, you know, there'll be another great few hours at night. Um, Yeah. And if I can get in some some reading and some listening um, and of course, some gym or some outdoor activity, then it's a pretty good day.
0: Love to hear it. So, in in preparing for for the fusion, where where do you where do you start? Like, talk talk about that, like sort of, you know, the starting of the of the process. Something that's like in the middle, and like when we're getting to that point where someone like myself would be sitting there, like, oh wow, this is great, this is amazing, and I'm marking out. So, talk about sort of the you know the idea to the actual like execution within that process for um the fusion.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that's a that's um that can be a very very Long process. Um, could also be a short one. I mean, uh, Resurrection Mixtape, I worked on and tinkered with for a couple of years. Um, you know, Brahms Radiohead was written in a few weeks. Uh, the Queen Show was written in a few weeks. Um, so it does vary. I think as I've written more and more, and as I've developed the technique more, as the shows have gotten more and more involved and uh, lengthy and conceptual uh, the, the process has lengthened. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the, pr- in the process of, I would say just the, the ideation phase for the next one. Yeah, And so that means I'm, I'm just kind of, it's almost, yeah. You know, again, I'm going to use kind of an athletic, um, analogy here, but if, if when an athlete is, is preparing, you know, for whether a big competition or a big game, or they're, they're getting into kind of, um, they're getting into shape for something they're in that training period like i i in my mind i know that like maybe six months from now ish i'll start writing the the next one which i've i've kind of chosen and so i just put that music on you know occasionally and i just i jot down notes um i flag songs i playlist songs etc so as they've gotten more involved, this kind of pre-production phase has gotten lengthier and lengthier, like the runway, so to speak. Um, but then when it's when it starts, when the writing starts, that's a very improvisatory process. I mean, it 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 will it will usually start where I have a playlist and I have kind of material selected already. And I'll hit the piano. And again, let's say if we're talking about the resurrection mixtape, which is Maller 2. Uh, Tupac and Biggie I just I open up the score for the Muller I start to play and I've got those songs in my mind I've already got them sort of memorized I know what their musical content is cuz I've gone through this um this exploratory pre-production phase and um I just start to play I start to improvise and um, see where things can be layered in and you know that's the beginning and then eventually, a uh, you know structure starts to take place, and I start to realize, okay, this song can go here. All right, a piece of this song here. You know, I get that 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 roadmap kind of starts to materialize um, pretty quickly, and then it's a matter of just refining and iterating and continuing to drill down all the individual sections. That's great. Thank you, thank you. That, that is uh,
0: it's good to get a peek into the the mind of um of of the artist of the creative. Um. So are are there some, like, considerations in, like, the sort of, like, thought process that goes into, you know, fusing, like, you know, uh, composition, fusing uh, music from artists that may feel, like, to many people, like, really dissimilar, but then for people who kind of like listen and have gone to one of the shows and seen you do your your thing and, and the sort of the idea and the the story that goes along with it and say, oh, no, this this makes sense. This absolutely makes sense. So what are some of those considerations and the thinking that goes into just putting together fusion and talk about
1: that a little bit? Well, I think that's that's sort of the point. Um, and yes, it, it may seem... Um, on the face of it, that that you know, to an artist composer pairing is um, is an unlikely one, or um, is you know n- not not the that maybe they're not the most well suited to one another. But there's got to be a reason behind it. I mean, I, I I say often since I've been doing this for this long, um, and I've developed the technique. I mean, at this point, anything is combinable. It's really just a question of, you know, why? And, and, you know, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. So, um, you know, I'm really I would say I'm really guided by that principle. And the reasons, the why can be musical uh, or they could be a musical. Um, In the case of Brahms and Radiohead, um, it's actually both. You know, um, there's there's great density um, to the music. Um, they, they, sh- they, they share some, um, th- they share some very basic qualities like, you know, time signature key, you know, key, etc. But again, any, anything can share those, but, um, there is, you know, their, their use of counterpoint their their, you know, their advancement is, advancements in harmony, etc um but then beyond that there's then a, a musical reasons there's the emotional quality of the music um and in like in the example of Beethoven Coldplay, that was less for musical reasons that was that was a musical reasons that was because I thought uh, these are both artists that deal with these universal humanist qualities um they they both speak to what it is to be um, on this earth as a human being you know love and loss and tragedy and triumph and they they deal with those in uh magnificent ways that gives their their music um a very distinctive character so that's why i wanted to combine those so um you know resurrection mixtape there's the that of course that's that's a that's a Mueller Symphony, the second symphony, the Resurrection, that deals with the concept of the afterlife and what is the afterlife. And of course, we lost Biggie and and Tupac tragically in the, you know, in their, when they're 23, you know, year, 24 years old. And so, uh, but they're enduring and uh, they're everlasting. And so, they through their their impact on pop culture in the world. Embody the idea of you know living eternally, you know. So that that's the reason for that one. So they've all got uh, a myriad of reasons.
0: Thank you. It's great. So I got one last real question, and even the great Steve Ackman gets the rapid fire questions. I got a couple of those for you after this last real one, but I'll hit you with the real one. So as, as someone who is consist constantly pushing the boundaries, musing at how we like, kind of like you know understand maybe some of these like, you know, unexpected combinations and really painting that picture. What, what projects do you have coming up? I I know you touched on, you know, we worked on the album. So what do you have coming up in the next, let's say, you know, six, six, three to six months.
1: Sure. A a big focus of mine right now um, that is being pursued in tandem, of course, with all the fusion work, because uh, that calendar is full. and, And as I said, I'm looking forward to writing the next one um, is my own original music and my original voice. And, um, you know, one of my big goals this year was to realize that original voice and to answer the question, um, what is art music to me right now? And what is my musical voice and and what happens when I use these techniques that I've developed through the fusion works of which there are many, um, works and, and techniques, uh, and wonderful experiences with incredible musicians and um and rich rich musical material. Um, what happens when I filter my own musical ideas uh, through those techniques? What does that music sound like? what is it you know uh, what is that experience? and uh, I realized that for the first time a couple months ago with the brink. Um, we, we premiered that on March 9th. We're doing the second installment. Um, so part two in, in, uh, just a few weeks away. That's June 8th. So I'm fiendishly writing for that right now. And, uh, that's tremendously fulfilling and exciting because it truly feels like a journey sort of into the unknown. Um, into this, um, kind of, well, I, I don't want to, I shouldn't qualify it in any way. It's just, I'm just trying to realize my voice and um, that's a very fulfilling um, activity I think for, for anybody. So grateful for that right now. Thank
0: you. I'm I'm looking forward to what's next. Uh, if I'm, if I'm being really honest, I'm looking forward to it. You're definitely on that, that list of like, Oh, he's, he's here. He's, he's back in Baltimore. I'm going, where's, where's, where's my shirt? You know what I mean? <laughs>
1: oh, nice. Nice. That oh, like, Oh, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm tremendously grateful for what's happening there in Baltimore, the Baltimore Symphony and the the Fuse series. And um, yeah, to, to everybody that's come out and, and sort of um, that has sort of adopted those concerts and and now are kind of like, you know, loyal fans of, of that concert series. I mean, it's pretty amazing what's happened there in a short time.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think that's where we'll, we'll stop with the real questions. And if you'll indulge me, I got a few rapid fire questions for you. They're ridiculous. They're fun. They're interesting. They're m- maybe related to what you, you what your what your creative pursuits are, what your work is, but they're, you know, a lot of times they're just related to who the person is. Because, you know, the 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 point of me adding these in there is not to do the gotcha thing or anything along those lines, but it's to take, you know, a peek behind the curtain to show who the person is, you know, versus this sort of transactionary thing that people do. Tell me about your work. Bye. No, nobody wants to do yeah. that. Let's let's get into the person a little bit. So Here's here's my first one. This was the one I wrote, right? When I was telling you about the um Drake and Tchaikovsky. Uh, mm. this was the question I wrote. So like conducting looks very physical. Uh, after a night of conducting, uh, what is the source part of your body?
1: <laughs> Shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Shoulder for sure.
0: Um, um you mentioned earlier sports. Um, you're, you're a big sports fan. Uh what what are what are the two to three teams that you support?
1: Well, Duke Blue Devils basketball, which I have to qualify because, you know, um, a lot of people are going to groan when they hear that. Uh, But my dad played basketball with Coach K uh, when they were in the army together. So we're huge Duke fans. Um, uh, Chicago Bulls, because I'm from Chicago. Um, Yeah. And then I kind of. I'm a Tom Brady fan. Uh, a lot of people are going to groan at that one as well. I take a lot of uh, flack for that. But I'm just into the story of this guy that, you know, was a ninth rounder or whatever it was, you know, drafted at the, you know, had to wait to the bitter end of the draft to, to have his name called. And then he becomes the greatest of all time. And he, he just that competitive fire that he had for his entire career to, to always be better. I mean, same with Jordan, same with Kobe Bryant. I'm, I'm uh, I've got the Kobe Bryant book right on my uh, coffee table right now. Cause I'm sort of obsessed with Kobe right now, I mean, man, like just a maniacal competitor uh, that that's, those are the ones, those are, are the, the people that I'm inspired by. Thank you. That's great. Uh,
0: <laughs> so I know that, in and pardon my like lack of the the terminology but obviously each gesture when you're conducting has meaning and intent do you ever troll do you ever get up there and do something like this is not the gesture but you know people are trying to figure out what what you mean you're just up there just kind of like doing umpire strikeout moves and things of that nature when rehearsing is going on
1: <laughs> no way no way <laughs> uh yeah i mean listen they say they say in the orchestra business, um, a conductor are, are already is stepping on the podium with a deficit of credibility. Okay, that that just to give you an idea of kind of how how professional um, orchestral musicians view conductors, and rightfully so, because a lot of times the person who's in front of there in front of them has no business being up there. So um, I take it serious, very 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 seriously. The privilege to be up there, and already. Uh, my deficit of credibility is probably greater because they're thinking, "Who the hell is this guy that's combining Mueller's second symphony with Tupac and Biggie?" And uh, I spent a lot of years kind of digging myself out of that. So, so the last thing I'm going to do is, uh, you know, go up there and make some superfluous or you know, kind of charlatan gesture to them. Thank you.
0: This this is the last one I got um i'm very i'm very interested in what folks eat but i want to do this in the vein of sort of unexpected combinations is there like an unexpected like food combination or something that's really unique that you enjoy but people kind of give you the side eye it's like i guess the the apt uh combination would be back in the day when uh a reese's cup was first invented why do you have your chocolate in my peanut butter and vice versa do you have a you know unexpected combination when it comes to food
1: yeah i would uh, i'm a I- Uh, um people that know me well say i eat like kind of rabbit food um a lot of nuts you know a lot of like dried fruits um a lot of peanut butter uh and, and almonds so i will put almonds in just about anything including like you know like you know chili or soup or something i just love the crunch of almonds so that's a that's one where people are like um yeah you're you're something wrong with you
0: <laughs> that that's that's wild actually um almonds I, I i didn't think of that but um i i'm a texture guy as well so i definitely um understand like maybe having that that crunch in there and um uh, i've been putting curry like curry powder in a lot of stuff
1: recently i'm gonna have a talk okay with that curry powder's going yeah, yeah. there you go I'm okay with that I, i'll try that I, i'm a big spice guy for sure mm. um and heat i mean i like a lot of heat
0: bringing the heat and uh we're we're going nuts here so i I think that's it i think that's it for the pod um so one i want to thank you i want to thank you truly thank you for coming on to this podcast and spending some time with me and two i want to invite and encourage you to share with the listeners um where they can check out all things steve hackman updates website social media all of that good stuff the floor is yours
1: well sure yeah no thank you rob for having me it's been a terrific discussion uh instagram is the best way uh to get um the, the the most updated content my instagram is steve hackman music uh and then website of course um steve those are the two ways
0: and there you have it folks i want to again thank steve hackman for coming on to the podcast and i'm rob lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods you've just got to look for it